Hello. How's it going? Hey, Mike. That didn't What's take up? long. What's up, buddy? How you doing? Uh, it's a Saturday, man. Well, Thursday it's, for it is everyone else. <laughs> yeah, normal people, it's a Thursday. Yeah. In Copland, it's a Saturday. I don't know what year it is. Yeah, it's 2021. <laughs> oh, and crap. It's my Sunday, so that's how this works in law enforcement, <laughs> right? Your Saturday, my Sunday, it's actually Thursday. What the fuck's going on? But what is going on is episode two of the Handcuffs and Sawdust podcast. So got some good feedback from the first one. How about you? Yeah, everyone seemed to really like it. Um, I apologize for the crappy audio. I moved a little bit closer to my internet source. So now uh, hopefully I sound a little bit better. Man, you sound like you're sitting in a chair right next to me wearing a mask. Well, you, you're clearer I mean, than wearing a mask, but it sounds like you're in the same room as me. Say, if I was wearing a mask, it'd sound a little bit more like right. and nobody can hear me. Yeah. How does Deadpool sound so clear? You know, it's almost like they do it on a computer. Right. Like he's not actually even talking while he's killing people. Yeah. Oh, well. Weird. So, uh, how was your week? Uh, it's long, man. Uh, so with the, and I know we're going to get into the, the verdict in this little, uh, court case. I don't know I, what I don't, you're talking about. I don't know if anybody's heard about it, but there no. was a, a rather pivotal court case in, uh, Minnesota that reached a verdict. So I got a little bit of overtime that day. Giddy up. See, we're already benefiting from it. I know I'm going to buy some stuff. <laughs> I don't want to benefit from someone's misery, but overtime. Yeah. Giddy up. What can I buy? Sign me up. I just got a pay bump. <laughs> Nice. So we've had a bunch of different things happening this week. And for our week, we're, we're recording this on Thursday, and we just uh, recorded the last one on Saturday. So it's only been a short week for us. But for the listeners to know, what we'd actually like to do is pick one day to have these things drop. And since the first one dropped on a Wednesday, I guess we're going to keep up with the Wednesday dropping schedule. How's that sound, Brandon? It sounds good to me. All right, cool. So within the last five days... Just a few things have occurred in the world of law enforcement. One of them was this trial going on in Minneapolis that Brandon talked about, the Derek Chauvin trial. And uh, the second one, as of yesterday, there's something else happening in today, but we're not going to touch on that, uh, was the Columbus, Ohio police shooting. So those are the two main topics we're going to talk about before we get into the woodworking segment. So uh, let's go. What say you, Brandon, about this uh, found guilty on three counts for Derek Chauvin? First one, guilty of second-degree murder. Second one, guilty of third-degree murder. And the third one, guilty of manslaughter. So I, I don't think there's a person around that would say that uh, what Derek Chauvin did was okay. Um, I, I think it's an egregious use of force or uh, excessive use of force. However, uh, you and I dealing in elements of a crime and understanding that if you don't fulfill those elements, you don't have that crime. I thought that when the DA filed the murder to charge, I thought he was reaching. I thought he was caving in to the, uh, the mob mentality that quite honestly, I don't blame him. If people were burning down my city, I would probably do just about anything I could to make that stop. And if it meant overcharging and seeing if I could maybe, you know, knowing that I would maybe lose that charge, like I, I would be okay with that. Um, because if you look at murder too, if you look at the statute, uh, 
it's causing a death while in the commission of a felony. And you read off the charges. He was charged with murder two, murder three, and manslaughter. That's it. There's no other additional felony that he was charged with. So if he kill, un, unintentionally killed somebody during the commission of a felony, where's that felony charge? I, I, I think the jury I, – I, I don't really know. I, I'd be really interested to hear their reasoning for it. Um, I have some, some personal opinions. Um, well, that's why we're here. Yeah, and I'm, I'm going to get into that with um, – an elected official, Maxine Waters, who uh, is known for calling for uh, violence, called for BLM protesters to be more confrontational with police and um, did that before the jury was even deliberating. And this was a jury that wasn't sequestered, which I think was a huge mistake. So wait, when the president... Oh the yeah, United States we'll, we'll get, says we'll get to good well, old they're, Joe. They're not going to hear me because they're sequestered. Could he be lying? Oh well, we'll so, get back to so, that. So 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 lying. I don't think he was lying. I think uninformed. I, I think he genuinely did not know. However, when was the last time a sitting U.S. president weighed in on a jury trial that was still actively? being litigated because hmm. i i can't think of one nobody i'll say i'll say never yeah i i can't think of it ever happening and you know my personal feelings of joe biden's politics aside i i i heard him say all that and just like my jaw hit the floor i'm like what are you doing this is i don't think you're intentionally trying to tamper with a jury but just using language that could be interpreted as such is so so far into left field and not something that should be tolerated. And then Maxine Waters, she is trying to incite a riot. I mean, hmm. take take whatever you feel about Donald Trump aside of this. If you look at just the words used on January 6th and you compare it to the words used by Maxine Waters the other day, what she said directly was calling for violence. And just out of curiosity, Mike, do you know that the FBI definition of terrorism? I don't. So it's a lot like it reads a lot like robbery. So using uh, force or the threat of force to bring about political or social change. Not going to weigh in. Not going to weigh in on on what that was. And just that is information that is out there, readily available on the FBI website. My whole thoughts on BLM is they're a homegrown terrorist organization. They are. They incite violence. If you look at the uh, FBI definition, I would say that you're probably right. I if think we look fits. at letter of the law. Right. No one wants to hear that. Or no one on the left. No. Uh, wants and, to hear and, that. and don't get it confused. So I think there's two different parts of this. I, and I'll, I'll, I'll phrase it this way. Let me ask you a question, Mike. Do you believe in the phrase, in these in these words, Black Lives Matter? Do you believe that? Okay. Of course. What do you think about the organization? Because I think there's two different things. There's the movement, Black Lives Matter, which I think had a righteous you know, movement, had a, a terrific point, and 
had a moment that they could grab onto and really push for change that quite honestly, we do need. I mean, and it doesn't just apply to law enforcement like you and I on the street. It applies to the judicial system. It applies to city, county, state, and federal government. I thought they had that moment. And then the organization, Black Lives Matter, bastardized that movement. So I, I agree. So and and I think a lot of that is people aren't able to separate the movement from the organization. Just like people can't seem to separate people who are just Democrats and people who are anarchists or calling just like people can't separate Republican from right-winning extremists or white supremacists. People just cannot seem to go well, you can identify. I mean, you can be a conservative, but that doesn't mean that you're, you know, a, a white supremacist or a racist or any of these other horrible things. And just being a Democrat doesn't mean, right, that you exactly. want, you know, communism in America. There's there's two totally different parts to that. So while I think the organization Black Lives Matter is quite possibly a terrorist organization, no different than the KKK, I agree with the movement that. There are some things that we really do need to look at, but I think what we're not looking at is some of these systems that are in place already. Do you know what the number one predictor of crime is? It's poverty. Poverty, yeah. Poverty. Anywhere you go to high crime rates, you're going to have low income. So what has government done throughout the course of uh, – let's just go back to this from the 60s till now. They've incentivized I – mean, or just look at the pandemic. There were people quitting their jobs to take unemployment because they were going to get paid more. Right. So in the the first year after I left the military, it was taking a long time to get hired on. And my wife and I got to the point where we were going to have to decide which bill was going to get paid. Like, were we going to buy groceries or were we going to keep the power on? So we went on government assistance. Okay, we did. But, the, but you didn't go out and rob somebody or no, no. Steals. So, okay, so, go so ahead. Sorry. We, we fill out all the paperwork, and we I took unemployment. We got food stamps. We did WIC. We did the whole whole nine yards. And there is a lot of help out there, like financially, to where I understand why people will stay on it forever. Why we have incentivized living in poverty. Like we have Section Eight housing. Like, hey, cool. We'll, we'll just give you a, a place to live for next to nothing if you don't make too much we'll give you a check for six months and unemployment if you don't have a job all you got to do is just pinky promise that you were looking for one and then with food stamps you want to buy a bunch of fatty sugary food that is crap for you cool on us so we need to look at that system to maybe help get people out of poverty or put a clock on it of Nothing's going to light a fire under your ass like a deadline. If I know, hey, I've got six months to get a job and get on my feet, otherwise I'm going to be on the street, I guarantee you people will start pulling themselves out of poverty. Yeah, because they'd have to. So back to the the actual trial. Uh, we have a guest tonight for everyone listening. Uh, Joey Mayberry is joining us. We're having technical issues for him to actually participate vocally, but he is texting and listening. So we have a live studio guest in his own studio. So uh, Joey says, as far as this trial goes, 
the scales of justice is said to be blind, but it's not in this case. This no, was a politically I, I motivated trial, and I want to ask someone, so, okay, this jury wasn't sequestered. During jury selection, did they go to, like, at what they're supposed to be made up of people in your own, you know, city and everything? There's not one person in Minneapolis who hasn't been poisoned by the media in the last 11 months before this even went to trial. So their jury pool was tainted from the beginning, in my opinion. Yeah, well, uh, usually with big trials like this, you see them moved out of county. But still, they could have moved know, it to so, Cook County. Out of state. Or they could have went to South Dakota. Everyone knows what's going on with this trial. so I think you would have stood a chance in South Dakota. Possibly. I mean, having lived in having lived in North Dakota, I think he would have. But but you had a television in North Dakota, right? I did. Uh, yeah, okay. they might have. They, they, they might have shown this story on the news in North Dakota and South Dakota. So, I think it wasn't. Now you got to say your piece on what you believe as well, as far as the charges go. Obviously, what he did is not condoned by anyone that I work with, nor myself. I th obviously, with today's world of everyone having a camera, made it worse, right? Because there was a young girl that recorded this event. So what we like to do, what you and I talked about prior, is what we do in our profession every day. We see these things either in front of us, we do it ourselves, or we, we see others do it, and we then break everything down, and what can we learn from it? So this is a horrible case. But we do need to learn from it on the law enforcement side. And I was just wondering what you think could have been done differently in this case. Because we've everyone that's in this field has fought with people. That's our job. We get paid to fight people. He was under arrest. He was placed in a squad. He was heard saying he couldn't breathe when he was actually in the squad car. Uh, then they bring him out, and he struggles, and then they place him on the ground and in a very bad spot, right? He's on the street. He's on concrete. Um, there's a bunch of people around, which you never want people around when you're trying to make an arrest, right? Because bad things can happen. If one of them had decided to step in, there could have been all kinds of bad things happening, more than just occurred. More than one person could be dead. Um, so as far as your expertise go and your knowledge of the field and your working knowledge, what may have you done differently? So I think, and this has been done a lot, where we're looking at the final moment, right? We're looking at that that one singular use of force. Well, the nine minutes. So let's go. Yeah. yeah. So 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 let's go all the way back. What was the original call for service? A forged, like guy passing off a forged bill. Right. So he so, had committed a crime. Yeah, absolutely. But then we start to look at okay, and it's something that I think. At least in California, we do pretty much on a regular basis now. Of, are we going to really get into a use of force over you know a bad twenty? Yeah. Now and, and knowing when when to walk away. But see, that's now and today, not, and it, that's yeah. not what we're trained so, to I, do. I, I, and I think that's the hard part is going back and going. Okay, so we're here for a forged bill. I mean, we've got a guy that, and I don't know what his criminal history was with. Minneapolis. I know he had a long history, like down in Texas or something like that. Um, 
but it, it's it's so hard because you have somebody that's in the back of your car who sounds like he's in distress. He sounds like he's having a medical emergency. We've all had try that. To put him, yeah, I I had that after George Floyd, where a guy was screaming it in the back. Well, of my now car. they're all. I I can't. Breathe. Now they're all yeah. screaming it. Just so everyone yeah. knows, everyone you yeah, arrest now yells, "I can't breathe!" And if you can talk, okay. you can breathe. Your that, oxygen is coming it's in. It's a scientific you're able fact, to expel it. Yeah. So, and that's why you'll hear cops say that all the time to people of like, "Hey, if you're screaming, you can breathe, dude." Like, I don't, exactly. I don't believe you. So, I, I, at the time, they have no idea of knowing that he's got enough fentanyl in his system to kill a horse. Of course not. They don't know about. They don't yeah. know that he's under the influence of meth. But I, I just wonder if they could have moved the car. Because by that, by the time he's screaming that in the car, the, that's when the crowd is gathering. I, I guess, is it conceivable that you could have moved him to a separate location away from that chaos, called for medical while in route? Yeah, have an ambulance meet you in a parking lot four blocks away. Yeah. Say, hey, we're going you know, four blocks east of this location. Have medical meet us there. Get there, get him out, get him in a seated position, some sort of recovery position, start right. to render aid, start to assess. Uh, but in that in that sort of dynamic situation, you've got – from what I understand, you had Chauvin, you had two trainees, and you had another trainer. And that other trainer was kind of keeping the crowd at bay. And I think at one point, like, one of the trainees was like, hey, is this, like, excited delirium? Is this something that we should do here? Like, kind of started kind of running through that mental checklist. So you could see th- those gears were turning. Right. And then when you have your senior officer who's like, dude, like, we're doing this. That's kind of like your signal of, like, okay, just shut up and color. Because he's got the he's got the training experience, he's maybe been through this before, or he has a history with this guy. So I think the biggest thing to take away is one: if even if you're new, don't be afraid to to say something. Don't be afraid to actually physically do something if it's in the best interest of everybody on scene, to include the bystanders, your suspect, and the fellow officers. Because I mean, like you said, they're in the number like two lane of traffic. Yeah, it's you've been a rookie. Obviously, for me, it was a very long time ago. (laughs) But two trainees with two FTOs, right? So here's the senior FTO, Chauvin, doing this. Now, you and I may have said, whoa, what are you doing? I don't know many uh, trainees that I've trained that would speak up because, let's face it, we're, we're not desk flyers. Um, we're not doing working at a target, you know, at a checkout lane. Uh, when you get thrown into this job, I've had older trainees in their 30s start. I started it when I was 33, and I, I had seen a lot in the world. But I've had older trainees say, why do people do this? Why are they fighting us? Why? And they're, they're in shock that the world works this way, right? Yeah. So when I see that these two trainees are put in this situation, people want to vilify them. And I'm like, hold on for a second. Yeah. Let's slow the roll on prosecuting the training officers. Not the training officers, the, the officers in training. The trainees. Because unless you do this job, you can sit there from behind your desk or your steering wheel while you're listening and say, those trainees should have done this. It's very hard for a trainee in the police field, and it should not be, to challenge their training officer. And I always tell my trainees, listen, if you think at any point that I've spoken 
wrongly or done something not proper, or you see me and you think I might be crossing a line, just grab my arm and pull me aside and say, hey, this, that, and the other. Sometimes we need a check, right? But I, I've yeah. never crossed that line. But I, that's what I tell them. But these guys were <laughs> – are in a situation right now. The whole world's crashing oh, yeah. down. They have no idea what the hell's going on. They can't challenge their FTOs, yeah. although one of them did say something. Um, so, you know, we all have people that we arrest and that say they can't breathe and everything. And what we what we do at my department is we just quickly get them out of there. There's no reason to wait for EMS if it's going to be a long time. Now, that city, Minneapolis, is huge. I don't know where the it EMS is. is coming from. Would have would have been quicker to drive them or drive him somewhere else. I think once that crowd starts gathering, then you're also putting yourself in danger and the prisoner because you, your number one goal yeah, you're, is to protect the prisoner, right? Yeah, you're responsible for their We're safety responsible. Once, you, once you take ownership of them. Right, so, your baby. so now just move them, right? If yeah. that's, what, that's what I think they could have done to make it a little bit safer for him and uh, and themselves. And then... Who knows? He probably still would have passed, unfortunately, because of the amount of drugs in his system. Um, but at least they could have yeah. got ahead of it and maybe got him quicker medical attention. Yeah. I mean, we're certainly not going to unhandcuff somebody and no. let them sit on the ground. That's not going to No, happen. not somebody that's been resisting. It's hard enough to get somebody that's right. that's actively resisting you to get them into handcuffs, yeah. especially, especially when they're high. Like people – the general public doesn't understand – what meth strength? Right. Is. Yeah. Right. It, it's a real thing. It's no different than like somebody PCP. who's on PCP. Right. Yeah. Yeah. PCP scares the hell out of me. Yeah. So it, when you're when you're tussling with these people, like everyone gets all bent out of shape of like, oh, it was like four cops on one guy. I'm like, well, he was high out of his mind and he had the strength of a silverback gorilla. Yeah. They don't understand. Like, that's what it's actually happened. Yeah, I I have been curled, so I'm not a small human being. At this time, I was weighing in probably about 220, 225. I had a guy curl me like I was a 10-pound dumbbell. That is an unsettling feeling. Yeah, I'm much smaller than you, so, so I can't imagine. Yeah, that's the first time I've ever had to call for Code 3, <laughs> code three uh, fill units. Okay, that's so, a, so that code, was the very first time. code 3 out by you is what? That is lights and sirens. Holy shit! Get your ass here. Okay, because we just say on the radio, "Holy shit!" Get more units here. We don't say code. <laughs> well, that's usually okay. how that's usually how it comes out. Right. <laughs> I think we actually. So on, on my patrol team, we share a channel with a, an FTO team. So we have a bunch of recruits on that team. Oh, all right. And uh, one of them, he had his very first. Um, oh, oh shit! shit this mother. guy's running from me. I need yeah. I, I need code three fills. And I think he said, "Oh shit, code three fill." <laughs> Perfect. So, so we gave him a little bit of a hard time. Like, boy, it's a good thing we're on an encrypted channel oh now. Oh, God. Yeah, no one else heard that. All right. So we've been going for 20 minutes, and we have to move on to, the, move we on. Have to, move on to the next news story because we're going to try and make this yeah. equally uh, an equal episode of woodworking and law enforcement. So, so that's the first news story that was kind of big. The second one being this Columbia, or Columbus, Ohio police shooting of the 15-year-old girl. So I have an article synopsis that I just wanted to read real quick. I know most of the people that are listening are familiar with this. So, um, Brandon, you can help fill me in once I finish reading this. Okay. So the victim's name was, uh, I don't, you know what, 
I'm going to stick with the juvenile laws we have in Illinois and not release the victim. Yeah, let, let's just go with 15-year-old black 15 female. A 15-year-old female who called the police. So 4.30 p.m. in the afternoon, roughly, Columbia police. or I keep saying Columbia. Maybe I want to go to Columbia. I don't know. <laughs> in the jungles of Columbia. Uh, all right, so in Columbus, Ohio, officers responded to the 3100 block of Legion Lane. And the caller said females were there to stab her, and the, the, these people had put their hands on her. So the dispatchers weren't able to get more information about weapons at the scene. So officers arrive at 4.44 p.m., so that's 14 minutes later. There is body cam footage, which I urge everyone to go and look at. So the video from a responding officer shows the female appearing to try and stab two females when the officer fired striking her. Now, they have an interim police chief, Michael Woods. He said that officers immediately began life-saving measures and medics were called immediately. She was taken to the hospital and pronounced dead at 5.30. The mayor, he said it was a tragic day for the city, which it was. His statement was, it's a tragic day in the city of Columbus, a horrible, heartbreaking situation. I'm not just the mayor, I'm a father. The city of Columbus lost a 15-year-old girl today. And we know, based on this footage, the officer took action to protect another young girl in our community. But a family's grieving tonight, of course. So now I'm seeing online... I try not to look online anymore for stuff because I know we sh- we have to for this podcast. Yeah. What I try and do now is just skip past all the comments, right? Because you can get a news story, but you don't need the comments from the person saying they should have just shot the knife out of her hand or they should have just <laughs> shot her in the leg and to maim her. I, or the guy, I put a meme up, meme up on my stories today of a fat guy eating a bowl of chips, you know. Oh, yeah. So, And he's <laughs> the one that's, and these are the people that are saying how this could have been prevented now. Those are usually the ones that are the loudest, are the, the people in their underwear, typically in mom and dad's basement. Yeah, like 35 and in their basement. Yeah. yeah. So this is a horrible call, just a horrible situation um, to show up on. And I, I can't find anything wrong with this call, right? It, there's no good shootings, we'll say. Um, yeah. There's well, legally I mean, justified I, shootings, which we call a good shoot. Yeah, just in the terms of if it's like good as in good, I'm not going to be criminally charged or good, I'm within policy, good within the law. Right. We know nothing's I, a good I, shoot, but it's yeah, it's qualified as an as a good shoot. So I don't want people yeah. to get upset and they say, oh, they said it was a good shooting. No, no, it's not. It's not what we mean. Yeah. Um, so so this call is my nightmare. Yeah, right. I, 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 I dread getting that call. Um I think we can all agree um, in this situation there is no good there is no there is no right answer to this so in, in my view watching that video um, which I've watched no less than two dozen times in the last you know three four days th- this officer had two options stand by let two people get stabbed by a deadly weapon or 
use deadly force, confront that deadly threat with deadly force, and now he has to live with the fact that he shot and killed a 15-year-old girl. Horrible situation they put in. Like, I can't fathom this. Like, this idea of, like, what the hell did you want him to do? So we have a call. So we have a weapons call, okay? Two people, or we have three involved parties. Uh, at least at, there's a knife in play. We don't know who's who. We show up to a chaotic scene. We don't have time to go. So who's here to fight who? Because we have one person charging another with a rather large kitchen knife. Separate from that person, pin another one against the car, reach back and bring a knife forward in, in a stabbing motion, not once, but twice. Like, so for, for people in the White House, in particular, the press secretary, to comment on that and then talk about systemic racism when there is absolutely no data. Let me say that again. There is zero data to show that there is some sort of racial component in police enforcement. We go where we are called. We don't just show up. Wait, it's not like we just drive around and look for – well, we are driving around looking for crime, but we don't – Well, we used to. Yeah, no. We used to until we started getting charged for it. Yeah, now it's more of a reactive instead of proactive. And it kills me. Yeah. Because now I have to wait until after somebody's raped somebody, until somebody else has been shot. I can't try to take that gun off the street beforehand. I, I mean, for the press secretary to do that and talk about, oh, well, we need to, you know, reform and get rid of this systemic racism that disproportionately affects black and brown people. So my department actually did a study over the course of like four years. Do tell. And the results showed in uses of force, if you were the, the race most likely to have force used against them was Caucasian. Hispanic was number two. Vietnamese was number three. African-American was number four. Now, having said that, we don't have a robust African-American population in my city. We do have predominantly Hispanic and white. They're pretty much 50-50 as far as populations made up. But we have a large Vietnamese community, and we have, I would say, a moderate-sized African-American community. But statistically speaking, at least in my city, African Americans are about the fourth most likely to have force use against them, and it's white people number one by a lot. Well, you're not going to hear true. that in the news, though. No, and I, and I I will tell you this: white people in in my experience, white people are probably about twice likely to resist arrest than anybody else. Sounds about, simple as sounds that, about just, right. and, yeah. and that's just in my experience. Yeah. And then to have somebody else who to have an athlete, okay, LeBron James. I don't. I don't know who that is. Okay, so he's this, he's really good basketball player. So I would say in the hierarchy of basketball, it goes Jordan, Kobe, LeBron, I, and you. I know the. I, I don't care. Fight. I know the first okay? one. I know the first one. Yeah. So Jordan's a goat. Kobe says there is no Kobe without Jordan. LeBron just has his preceding hairline that he actually got hair plugs. You can you can see the hairline grow back. Okay. Breaking news. This just in. Yeah. LeBron has hair plugs. Yeah. LeBron James can kiss my fucking ass. And you know what? LeBron, some I don't care. T t keep tweeting at him. Open invitation. You want to jump in a patrol car? Jump in a patrol car. I'll take you for a ride. 
Yeah. Come ride with me for a week. He's no shack when it comes to law enforcement. No. Yeah. I and, and we can do it totally low, low key. Low key. No one will even know you're there the whole time. Right. No, nope. just come. Sit I in won't the car. even take my you picture with right. you. No, nope. that's not how it works. You're not. I don't a want a picture. I don't want a picture with him. You know, um, for for him to keep doing this, he does this just time after time after time. All he's doing is driving more division, more hate, and he's spreading racism. I agree, and, and no one wants to I, hear that, but it is true. No, he can he can get fucked. You know, um, Joey says that people need to understand that police don't want to shoot people. That's an event that sticks with an officer and that officer's whole family for their entire life. No one would choose to do that. But he yeah, let's, has to, would have had to do the same thing, obviously. That's our job. Yeah, let, let's, let's dive into that a little bit. This guy, let's say this guy's married with kids, right? Now his kids have to live with the fact that daddy has killed a kid. Yeah, they go to school and they're like, hey, your dad's a killer. Yeah. Your dad's a killer. Yeah. Um, I can't. I, I, hopefully none of us will ever be in that situation, um, you know, as he knocks on wood on the table. Because yeah, dear God, please. So, all right. So that was the second huge story before uh, this podcast. There was another shooting, I think, today uh, here in Chicago. Uh, last week or a few days ago, there was a car in a McDonald's drive-through, and someone jumped out of a car and opened fire and shot a young girl six times. She died, and the dad, who was the target, because he's not a he's a gangbanger, um, he just got shot once. Seven-year-old little girl. Yeah. So today on the news, actually, they got the shooter. They involved. They had an officer involved shooting on the expressway as they were trying to apprehend this guy. So I'm not sure if he's alive or dead yet because I haven't watched the news. But um, so that's going on. And then real quick before we switch over to woodworking, uh, the mayor of Chicago, which I'm glad I don't live in the city or work in the city, but they are now looking into a foot pursuit policy. Let's see. Before I can get into a foot chase, <laughs> I have to call my supervisors and ask permission to chase some asshole with a gun who's trying to flee. So, people, if you're coming to Chicago, please, I say, first, I say, don't. Don't. Don't come to Chicago. <laughs> Second of all, I say, don't carry any valuables on you. Don't drive a car because you'll be carjacked. So, um, and don't try and get in a foot chase if you're a police officer. And as soon as I heard that, um, once again, here's a movie reference or a TV show reference for you. The show Watchmen on HBO, opening scene, patrol officer in a squad, pulls over a pickup truck. He's got some probable cause. Um, there's an, a group of, like, homeland, homegrown terrorist, terrorists out there. The officer is not armed. This is the future. So they, they wear face masks like we're doing now, right, because of the COVID, but they do it. They have to wear these yellow face masks and their hats pulled down, and they he makes contact with the driver, and he gets the ID, and he goes back to the car, and he's sitting in his squad car, and he has to call dispatch, ask for a supervisor to release his weapon remotely that's in the dashboard because there's a bad thing going to happen. And they're like, what do you mean? We're not just going to release. What's the, what's the reason you need your weapon released? And... By the time he gets the clearance to do so, the guy's out of a truck on him and shoots him. So it's like this surreal thing that's going to happen. I'm hoping not. But So in, uh, in Oakland, you have to if – if your firearm comes out of the holster, you have to document it in a police report. As use of force. 
yeah, it's basically you, you just document it as a use of force. Right. It's treated as such. Um, and even within my department now, if we draw out, if we're at a low ready, you're fine. But don't point if say it, but if it does get point pointed at an individual, say you're dealing with a potentially armed suspect, you have to document that of like, Hey, um, it's almost the same thing you document as a use of force. You put their information in and you go, Hey, why did I point my weapon? You know, exhibit, why did I exhibit my firearm in this, in this manner? Like, Oh, because they're believed to be armed. They're involved in a, you know, violent felony or something like that. Right. So, and I have actually seen it firsthand where officers are not drawing their guns because they don't want to do the paperwork. Yeah. And that's what I mentioned last week's episode, because if we start thinking before reacting and, and relying on our training, we, we can end up dead. Or the people that we're trying to protect get injured or end up dead. Yeah. So we have to stop this whole, oh, my God, I'm afraid to get sued thing. And, and I will say this right now. Um, anybody that's listening that's a police officer, right now, tomorrow, this week, this month, set up your house and your belongings in a trust. It's a couple thousand dollars. You put all your stuff in a trust, and it can never be taken away from you in a civil lawsuit. So look it up. Get in touch with your financial guy, whatever you have to do. But get your home, cars, and bank accounts in a trust that can't be touched from a civil lawsuit because that's what's coming. We're going to have so many. The law that was just passed in, in Illinois, they are going to be able to take anonymous tips and complaints against the officers who will be put on leave while it's investigated, and they, they have to take them. They have to take these reports. So even with no factual basis and no name given as a complainant. So they're going to become, I think we should be able to sue the people that we're arresting, but of course they don't have anything. So that's yeah. why they're criminals. I, and I think ne next time we should get into uh, qualified immunity. Oh well, yeah, we'll definitely bring up why it's important. Right. We'll definitely bring because, up qualified immunity next time. Because if that goes, I go. Yeah. I mean, it's starting to, Time to turn full house woodworking into a full time gig. Well, that's why we're trying to turn it and make it a little bit more profitable. That way, if things do go sideways here, yeah, we have something that maybe won't replace that income, but can at least mitigate the damage. Right, supplement. Yeah. All right. So that's the end of our law enforcement uh, episode for the week. So we're going to switch over to the woodworking segment look at that segue we started talking about taking my thing full time oh yeah wait before we before away? we get into that because we do have a question this week right so oh and yeah, it is yeah, a yeah. law enforcement question and not a um not a woodworking question so you can send all your questions to our email address at handcuffs and sawdust podcast at gmail.com and we'll say that again at the end of the episode or if you're on instagram and you follow Brandon or myself, you can just DM us at uh, Full Ho Full House Woodwork, right, Brandon? That's right. Mm -hmm. Or the Midnight MM Midnight Maker. You can just send me questions. So, and, and if you're not following us, why? <laughs> why are you not doing this? And if you're not following us and you're listening to the listening to this, I don't know how you started listening to us without following us. Yeah, if you're not sense? following us and you're listening to us, I want you to reach out to me. I have questions. Right. I have questions, and they will be answered. All right. So my question that was sent to me today comes from Michelle Hill. She's the traveling crane. Uh, Michelle had and I had made friends about about a year ago, 18 months ago, when I first got into woodworking. She's fantastic, great maker. So her main 
question. She has two. So what are your thoughts on the new laws that have been passed in some states? And she named two states, and I think I have them right here. She said Oklahoma and Florida. So when you're being surrounded by people that are rioting and you want to get away, and some people are getting struck by cars and they were getting charged as a result of trying to flee a dangerous situation. So she wanted to know what we think about the new laws being passed in those two states where those people are not culpable anymore for trying to escape um, harm. So we'll just have you answer that one first. Well, you have a right to protect yourself. So if you're, you know, find yourself in the middle of a protest and people are presenting an imminent danger to your safety or the safety of the passengers in your car, yeah, I would say you have the right to get the hell out of Dodge. And if somebody is in front of your car violating the law as to being a pedestrian in the roadway, um, yeah, they're at fault for that accident. So I, I, I'm blown away by the fact that people were actually being charged for trying to protect themselves. <laughs> Like that, you know it's out there, uh, right? And and of course, and of course, it's in Florida, yeah, right. right. <laughs> so, yeah, um, if you ever find yourself in that situation, it's better to be judged by six than carried by twelve, or judged by twelve and carried by six. Flip it, yeah, judged by twelve and carried. By, <laughs> I have a, I'll have a really big casket, so it'll be twelve people carrying my casket because <laughs> I'm going to be really heavy by then. Are you taking the CNC with you? Yes, I can't leave it behind. <laughs> Um, her other question was, and that's a good question, Michelle, and I, I appreciate you asking us that. And she wanted to know uh, our thoughts on all these people that want to get rid of law enforcement, right? So what should we do? Should we just abolish the police in these states or cities that they don't want the police and then let them fend for themselves? And she had, Michelle had a great old movie reference, Escape from, Escape New, from York. New York. Yeah. Yeah. Right. With Snake Plissken, Kurt Russell. So um, that was her. She wanted to know our opinions on that. And I, I had said to her, I texted her back and said, sometimes we think that, right, as police officers. Fuck it. Let these people fight for themselves. And especially with this last call with the knife and stabbing a girl, do they want us just to stand there and wait till all the bloodshed is done? And then whoever's left standing will arrest, or now we won't even show up anymore. And my thought was, well, as much as that would show something to the people that don't want the police, there are 90% of the people in these communities need the police. They need the protection from the gangbangers and the drug dealers and the prostitutes and everything else. So they would suffer. They're the ones that would suffer, not the people that don't want us. Yeah. So I, I, uh, one of the things I'm really interested in is um, working gangs. So I've, I've typically worked in gang areas. I've also worked on the, the richer side of um, the city I work in. And I can tell you without question, the worst things I've ever had yelled at me have been in the rich part of town. And the people who during the rioting were the ones who would come out and say, hey, we really appreciate you. Don't go away. We want more of you here. We're people in gang neighborhoods. See, um, that's the, they need you. The, the vindictive side of me wants to, you know, and, and I'll be honest. The other night when I first saw the press secretary's comments on the Ohio shooting was like, okay, well, fine. Let's just all call in sick one day nationwide. I would love it. 
let's just see what happens. Yeah. If you don't need us, fine. Let's let's see how you like it. But then the patriot in me comes out. That's not why we do this job. We do the job to protect this, the people. This is this is the United States of America. Okay. Are we perfect? No. This is the world's greatest experiment. This is we are in uncharted territories. This country is like a teenager right now in the grand scheme of things. We are we are right now figuring out what we want to be as a country. And I think it's important that we have these conversations uh, because rules matter. We're just the we're the enforcer. We're the one that has to hold you accountable for it. We're the person that will stop you and say, you messed up. You violated this rule. Here is your penalty. It's a ticket here. You you violated a big rule. You have to go to adult timeout. That's, that's how I explain jail to my adult kids. Timeout. It's adult timeout. Awesome. Like when I send you to your room and I keep you in there for a period of time, I am sentencing you to jail for five minutes. For an adult, it has to be longer because you know better. Right. We need rules so, and laws. Otherwise, anarchy otherwise, takes over. Yeah. And I mean, if we really want to dive deep into it, Think about how many cops are veterans. Think about all the training that veterans have received in survival, in violence. It, there's there's some of them. The only thing protecting primarily these people that want to get rid of the police, the only thing protecting them from those people are the police. Right, yeah. So, <laughs> like, the, the only thing that is preventing me from coming and taking your stuff is rule of law. It's simple, because right? I guarantee you, I have more skills than you. In I will take your stuff. From yeah. you. I will take your shit, and it will be my shit now. Right. Like, if I want a saw stop, I'm going to find somebody that, that maybe can't defend themselves, and I'm going to take that saw stop. Right. Don't. But I can't because there's a law. There's a rule of law. Right. And I would not do well in jail. No. All right. So, Michelle, thank you very much for your question. And uh, we'll wrap up the police officer's side for now until we get back to the fallen officer's memorial. So we're going to get into some woodworking. <laughs> so I was joking with Brandon earlier, and Michelle had mentioned that she was so glad to hear us last week's episode talking about standing with your hands on your hips and wondering, what the fuck am I doing? I have no idea what I'm building. <laughs> and she was so happy that she's not the only one in her garage standing there looking at a stack of wood that doesn't know how to put it together. Uh, so... Uh, did I mention that I was contacted? I have a new project, maybe. I was contacted by a police department to build a five-foot flag. Did I mention that? Oh, yeah. So I actually uh, – I don't think I mentioned it last time. I did a um, a table for the guy that actually designed my logo. Oh, okay. He and I went to the police academy together, and uh, he we did a coffee table, but the tabletop is a blue line flag. Oh, yeah. And he's, he's really into like um, – like Japanese culture and stuff, so it's a Japanese style coffee table. So it's like, like two inches off the ground, or yeah, okay. And it has a built-in heater, and a, a blanket goes between the tabletop and the frame, so you can sit there, and then it it a real low power heat, and it will hold the heat in as you sit underneath. Get it. out! It it it's one of the coolest things I've ever built. I had absolutely no idea what it was when he mentioned it to me. I was like, yeah, sure, I can build that. Sure, YouTube. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and there wasn't crap on YouTube. Hey, there's there's a YouTube video for you to put to make. Yeah, I know. 
But it was I, like, I did it all out of two by fours because I'm an idiot instead of just doing one by fours. But like that tabletop was like thirty pounds. I'm sure. Yeah. Did you stain it as the uh, the colors of a blue line flag? Yeah. So I did. Okay. Um, we did the stars with um, our cricket. Okay. Which uh, kind of sucked because we couldn't do all fifty just based on the size of what, how big these stars were. Gonna right. Have so it was like be. thirteen stars on there. Yeah, well, no, we had to do like three different cuts and then like oh, right. okay. attach them right. on. Hoping they're the right spaced order. properly. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That, oh, man. That was the most stressful part of the entire thing. So, like, this thing is two by fours with like three inch screws going through each stripe to hold it all together. Did you use Power Pro hardware or was it someone else? Uh, I think it was Spax. Ah, okay. Shout out to Spax and Power Pro. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But I, I ended up running out of one. Uh, one type and my driver bat came in hand because I could just quick switch to the next uh oh yeah fastener head I needed driver back I need to get me one of those if if you if you don't have one go get one it's the tool you didn't know you needed yeah I see a lot and of Michelle them. over there they're they're great people she's a she's actually a dispatcher and she runs driver back with her dad no shit I didn't know she was a dispatcher yep all right so she, she should be awesome, she should be listening awesome to the show day. obviously if she better be. she's in law enforcement when we get when we get big time, I expect Driver Back to be a sponsor. Now that'd be fantastic, wouldn't it? Mind if I... yeah, I have I have two um, impact drivers, and they both have Driver Backs on them. Yeah, I want to get one of those. Hold on, I'm getting text by um, by Joey. He's going to make an actual appearance next time. <laughs> so um, he's now our ghost sponsor in the background, but. Um... He wants to come on again where he can actually speak. All right, so um, yeah, so I got I got to price this five foot flag out, right? I've I've never made a flag that big, obviously. I, I did have a buddy that wanted me to make him a blue line table, so that it's on the back burner. Uh, he actually called me today, and he's in like North Carolina or something. I think he fucking moved on me. But uh, so I I didn't know how to price out this big flag, so I had to do math. So I'm not really good at. You it, probably shouldn't be doing. I that. know. So I, I took out the protractor and and a slide rule, and I figured Did out. Did you get the abacus going? I didn't get the abacus. That's next time. It makes too much noise, okay. and I sometimes I slam my fingers in between the fucking little wooden pieces. But I yeah, and at the middle of the night, you'll wake up everybody in the house. Yeah, it's bad enough I got CNCs and saws going in the middle of the night. <laughs> so I, I the flag is 38 percent larger than any flag that I've made because i usually make 37 inches wide by 19 and a half inches tall and then i make two other smaller sizes so i just i took the 38 percent and i multiplied it to the price of my large flag so it, it gave me a 38 percent more price increase right is that how you do it yeah yeah i mean that's how i would probably do it is if it's 38 percent bigger i would probably just increase the price right that's the fair way to do it but I, i've seen some of these big flags on etsy and they're like $500, and I'm like, what the fuck are these people? Are they making this out of, like, ambrosia or, you know, Purple Heart? I don't – Well, well, maybe they're factoring in shipping because Etsy gives you a boost if you offer free shipping, but then you have to build that into your price. You know what? I got so – maybe, So maybe that's what they're doing. Maybe, but I, I offer free shipping. I have an Etsy page. For anybody that doesn't know, uh, you can go to MM Midnight Maker on Etsy and see my flags and bottle openers. Um, and I know you're talking about either making an Etsy store – or doing an, a whole website, which I I want to switch over to eventually, is building my own website so I don't have to pay Etsy. But I just sold an oak, red line and blue line flag through Etsy. I didn't know the person, 
She's on the East Coast. She is a public information officer, and her husband is a police officer and firefighter. Oh, cool. Public safety officer. So um, I took a bath on shipping, right? Even though I use ShipNerd. ShipNerd's a big sponsor of the uh, MM Midnight Maker uh, actual Instagram shipping page. They, uh, I use them most of the time. So they saved me a lot of money, but I didn't factor in the cost in my price. So, I, you know, I lost maybe 25 bucks in the profit yeah, of the that, flag. That's what I've that's what I found is when I build something for the first time, I usually end up underpricing it by a ton. And so if you want, like, if you want to get something on the cheap, like just hit me up and make sure it's the first time that I'm building it. <laughs> right. Because it's going to go up. I'm gonna, like I'm going to accidentally screw myself over. Right. Um, but I actually did a, um, a red and blue line flag too, uh, around Christmas time. Okay. It was, it was like somebody that knew, um, a dude I went, I uh, was in uh, the air force with and, they hit me up. I guess her husband's a cop and like a volunteer firefighter, which hurt my brain to even think about. <laughs> but it was and, – and initially I didn't really know how I felt about the idea of – because I've seen it where you like kind of split the one stripe down the middle and do half red, half blue. Yeah, that's how I did it. Like, Yeah. So she actually wanted it to go um, red line, black line, blue line. Oh, cool. So have so have two of the white stripes. And I was sitting there going like, man, that's going to look weird. And after I was done with it, it's quite honestly, it's one of my favorite flags that I've done. Yeah, very cool. Like we ended up doing the the chamfer around all the stripes, the union, all that stuff. All right. And just it came out looking looking real nice. But then that was the first time I ever had to ship anything. I had to ship it all the way to New Jersey. Did you use ShipNerd? I didn't. I used Pirate Ship. I've checked them too. So, so it seems like Pirate Ship for that one was going to be a little bit cheaper. Okay. And I just I'm, I'm one of the like I'm lazy. I didn't want to keep researching stuff. I'm like, ah, everything's already set up on pirate ships, so I'm going to keep doing it. Yeah, I would look into um, – I open all three windows, right? So I open up yeah. the USPS because I can print labels from home. I open up Ship Nerd, and I open up – pirate ship. And uh, yeah. I price them all out, and then I pick the cheapest one. And I, I didn't get onto the pirate ship boat. <laughs> I didn't get onto the pirate ship ship <laughs> until my buddy Jonathan Back, J.R. Back, um, he – told me about pirate ship because he's shipping five foot flags you know he's making a bunch of them so he always looks up all three before he picks one and yeah i, I remember seeing him talk about that and go yeah that's a really good idea i should start doing that right but i for the most part my my clientele has all been for the most part local mine too which is great so yeah so because i can just meet somebody and, and deliver it that way right um, and then we're just paying for gas but, and time yeah not shipping but for Half the time, I can tie it into like going to work or coming home from sure. work or something like that. Yeah. But like, I had a, an old supervisor. I did a, a challenge coin flag for him, but he's stationed over in England. So that's cool. I had to, yeah. Well, it it was until I saw the shipping prices. <laughs> did you sell your like first kid, and then were you able to ship it over to England? No, don't feel I guilty. I had to sell a kid, yeah. but here's your flag. <laughs> Yeah, I, we're, we're in the process of holding Hunger Games to see which kid's going to go. <laughs> nice. Do you have a kid named Katniss? No, okay. no, no. Right, good. <laughs> so, oh, shipping, yeah. So, yeah, that was one of the main projects I have that's starting up that's new. And then I'm working on uh, this Jumanji. Uh, it's a it's a Maker Challenge, Maker Collab 2021. We're doing a Jumanji-themed movie prop. 
and uh, my buddy Delmar, Uncle Deli, he designed it. Uh, we did it out of walnut. So uh, the push is on to finish that. That's due May 1st. Um, it, it looks phenomenal just from what I've seen. It's I, from what you've put up on on Instagram. Yeah, I've never worked with walnut before, because um, like I said, I'm a fake woodworker. So now that I have, <laughs> I think I might be able to qualify myself as a woodworker because I've actually made something out of walnut. So, so the only time I've ever actually used hardwood, uh, there was a guy on Facebook Marketplace selling like offcuts for fifty bucks. Okay. So I went, so I spent fifty bucks and got all of his offcuts. Nice. And that's the only it's the only time I've ever worked with walnut. Uh, the other day when uh, I bought the lumber for my other supervisor's uh, challenge coin rack, was the like the only time I bought I've bought in walnut. Well, <laughs> these like two foot long, like one by sixes, cost me like fifty bucks. Well, then you were overcharged. Well, it was I. I I don't have a lot of hardwood. You might want to run so this guy's name and see if he's if he's if he's wanted. <laughs> Because he robbed you, then I lose my job. Yeah, right. <laughs> well, no, it was it was through Home Depot. Oh, oh. Well, and and there was my problem. Yeah, right. I'm, so I'm looking. You need for a hardwood store, a hardwood dealer. Yeah. So I think I found one. It's actually in the area that I work. Oh, so awesome. I'm gonna start. I'm going to start scoping it out in the middle of the night. Yeah, you should. Um, yeah, they might even give you offcuts for free because just sitting in their bin. Um, so that's always a good thing to check on. That's how I got some. Delmar actually gave me a stack of this walnut. It's like a bunch of them. And I asked him, I'm working on a golf club display. I'm not going to say case. It's, it's going to be a two-piece, five-golf-club display wall unit. So it'll have a bottom tray and a backing that will mount to the wall. It'll have a circle with green felt in it that the club head will rest on. And then it goes up to the top. We'll have another um, wall-mounted part in the top with holes where the clubs go through. I'm doing this on, on the camera so Brandon can see what I'm doing, but I'm sticking my finger up through my hand. It, it looks incredibly inappropriate. Yeah. <laughs> it will be censored the second we put this up so, on um, YouTube or something. Yeah, exactly. See, you can't do that. Right, you can't do that. <laughs> so I'm working on that, and I, was, I have oak. I have some red oak for it, and I've grown – I made this cork board out of oak, and I hated it because it splinters and stuff. So after working with the walnut, I asked Delmar. I'm like, hey, man, can I use this – walnut that you left here and he's like what do you want to do with it i'm like well i want to make this wood this uh golf thing i'm doing he's like yeah fuck yeah do it he said i just wanted to make a mallet a mallet handle out of that i said all right i'll just mill up some of the walnut for his mallet handle mallet handle that's hard to say um so uh joey says that we should look on facebook in our area for uh search sawmill groups and they all saw blogs some have a kiln and dry them out. And he has access to hardwood and cherry. He's down in Georgia. Oh, nice. So I, I do check Facebook occasionally for um, wood. And then I get like, here's a 19th century piece of shit dresser. It falls under wood because yeah. they tag the hashtag wood or something. I'm like, I don't want that. I actually want wood wood, like loose wood. Yeah. So so I'll, I'll search like hardwood lumber. Mm -hmm. And it'll be like like somebody is like remodeling their kitchen and they're just throwing like all the plywood from their cabinet. Yeah, old cabinet right. Set. Here's our like, shitty hey, yeah, plywood. Free whoever wants it. I'm like, I don't want that. I don't, I don't want, want that. Right. So I can't, it, but Jonathan sold his bags of his sawdust. I seriously, I, he got he's like, what, like a couple hundred bucks. Yeah. So I've got one, I got a bag listed on Facebook marketplace for 50 bucks and it's still <laughs> sitting in my fucking garage. <laughs> yeah. So I actually was driving around, 
the other day kind of exploring a little bit because we live kind of – it's a real small town and it's surrounded by like foothills and mountains. John Cougar Mellencamp wrote a song about that. Yeah, he did. Yeah. Do you have a pink house? Uh, no, it's green. Okay. All right. So you're driving I around about painting. your small yeah. town. But out in the country a little bit, there's uh, some walnut orchards. Okay. Do they have fallen so trees? I pull, so I pulled off to the side of the road. My wife goes, what are you doing? I go, I'm looking for fallen trees. <laughs> Why? Because if there's a fallen tree and we're going to get a chainsaw and I'm dropping you guys off at home so I can load this thing up with uh, a bunch of uh, procured Yeah, procured walnuts, walnuts that just happened to <laughs> fall on the, on the side of the road. Yeah. It was it was on the curtilage. It wasn't on. Uh, it wasn't on the private, private property. property. Okay. <laughs> didn't step one foot on the private so, property to get it. So, yeah. So I would just start looking around, and then one of my neighbors, like, she has a maple tree that she's getting cut down. I'm like, yeah, maybe, uh, maybe you let me know when that comes down, and uh, maybe I drag that over here and heck yeah, <laughs> piss everybody in the HOA off. We, <laughs> we took down a humongous. It had to be thirty foot oak last fall. And I asked the guys to save me a part of the trunk. So they cut me a 52 inches long section of the trunk. And it's 26 inches in radius. And it's sitting on the side of my garage. I, sh- I didn't know at the time because my buddy gave me the phone number to these tree guys. Uh, I want to get it slabbed and, yeah. and stickered. And for those of you that don't know what stickering is, you take a sticker from a woodworker and you put it on the piece of wood. No, you um, they're just pieces. That, they're just sticks that you fucking stack up on top of each other and then you put sticks down in another slab. So I wanted to get it stickered and slabbed last year. And I called, I found one guy who dry, who kiln dries stuff. You can, if you have room, you can put it in his, in his kiln. It's a natural outdoor kiln. So I'm like, oh, cool, man. So I, I message him and he's like, yeah, okay, there's room in the kiln. How are you going to get it here? I'm like, wait a minute. I thought you were going to come out and slab it <laughs> for me and then question. fucking take it. And he's like, no, no, you have to bring it here. I'm like, I can't fucking put this thing in my truck. I wouldn't be able to drive down the street. It's so heavy. <laughs> so it sat on the side of my house, and it's still sitting there. And finally, my buddy, my best friend in the whole world, he just told me, hey, those guys that cut that fucking tree down, they'll they'll slab it for you. So now i got to call him back. <laughs> so i I got to call him back, ask him to come out this year and slab it. And then um, cut it into slabs, and then I can maybe do something with it in a couple of years after it dries. So how, how quick will it will it dry in a kiln? I know that for natural air, it's about a year for every inch thick it is. Right, I've heard, I read quick, that too. Like how much does a kiln? I don't know. Uh, actually, speed up that process. I'm not sure because he said um, he's got fans in there and it's all glass, so the the sun radiates the heat inside there, and then the fan circulates it, I guess, and then it it just speeds up the process maybe and. By half, I don't know. I don't know. It's a technical question. I'm not sure how to answer. Yeah. If anybody knows, reach out to hand, handcuffs and sawdust podcast at gmail.com. Right. Give us some Please. answers on how long <laughs> it takes to kill. We're dry. idiots. Yeah, we don't know. We're fake woodworkers. Worst woodworkers <laughs> ever. Ever. So uh, I mentioned uh, what I had going on, and I'd like to talk about. I know there are different ways to make flags, but I wanted to mention how I do my flags since uh, this is the woodworking project and this is how i oh look joey says kiln will get the moisture below 10 percent in three to five days okay joey with the save thanks joey joey's a real woodworker that's why he's here he's a fantastic carpenter (laughs) 
Oh, my God, and Builder. You should see his stuff. If you guys don't follow Joey on Instagram, it's JMA Services, and you can see some of the amazing stuff that this guy builds. If he lived near me, I'd have him help me with uh, finishing all my all the work I have here. So thanks, Joey. Appreciate that. Uh, so my flags, I used to go to one of the big box stores, either the green one or the orange one. Until they sponsor the show, I'm not going to mention them by name. And <laughs> I'll mention them if they if they screw me over. Right, that's the only way we're going to do it. <laughs> so the green store, I used to buy all my um, poplar from the eight the green the orange store, and then um, their stuff is more green. Like the wood itself is a green color. The actual poplar, because I make my flags out of poplar, unless specified pine, because I started making the first ones out of pine. And then when you burn them, there's a lot of a sap in the pine that comes out. And sometimes it leaves spots in the stain. And I just don't like working with the sap stuff. So I started upcharging. So I mostly only offer poplar. And finally, I went to a hardwood store out by me called Great Spirit Hardwoods. They are on Instagram if you want to check out their page. And they have an amazing selection of hardwoods and i bought 45 board feet of poplar rough sawn so i have to mill everything up by myself but i saved 200 bucks i think it was like 160 bucks and i got some sepal sepal mahogany um and i priced it out on at the green store and because they the green store will sell four foot eight foot sections wrapped packaged already perfect for cutting to make flags yeah it's really much better than the, the the orange store, I think. The wood is. It's got its lighter color. There's a couple different color variations, but this time I just bought the the hard, the poplar. I have to mill it up myself. So what I'll do is, I'll if I'm going to do a 37 inch flag. I know some of my buddies make 36 inch flags because then they can get two flags out of one six foot piece of wood. See, I used to think that too, but you don't account for squaring up an end, right? Or the kerf, eighth inch kerf, right? So I've actually just switched my blade to an Amana Mamba blade, so it's a thin kerf ripping blade. So I'm actually able to save more wood that way. Um, so I'll I'll cut down everything at the miter station to 37 inches, and then um, rip my strips down to an inch and a half on the on the table saw. And what I found is if when I was buying the eight foot boards to do the flags. I'd always have roughly 24, 22 to 24 inches left after cutting off the, uh, the amount I needed for my flags. So I would mill up all the wood I needed for my flags, 13 stripes. I usually get out of a four-foot board, I'd get 14, two four-foot boards, I get 14 stripes for one flag. So then I mill it up and then, uh, then the staining process begins. I'll try and do five or six flags at a time because I want to run the saw only once, right? Because you're creating so much sawdust in the, in the air, even with an air filtration system. Um, if I'm milling up flag lumber for the night, that's all I'm doing. I'm not going to be staining the same day because I don't want all that fine dust to settle in on the stain. So I'll lay out all my wood. I, uh, I search the boards to make sure that I don't have any bent ones or warped ones, and then I lay them 13 out at a time, and I'll just mark, start marking them, which ones would look better 
burned darker, which ones are lighter and would show the blue line or the red line better or brighter. And I no longer burn the blue line. That's I, same here. Okay, because I, I, it was making it way too dark, right? Yeah. It was almost like you couldn't distinguish between that and, and the black and the, and the black. Right. So I stopped doing that. And now I, I offer – there's different versions you can have of my flags. You can have all stained where you're staining white, red, and blue or white and black with a blue line. You can do a burned and stained. So the white stripes would be the burned stripes. You know how that goes. Or you can do all painted. Or I've actually – the last few blue line ones I've done, I've done all stained. So I'll stain the black for the union and the black stripes, burn the other stripes, and then for the blue stripe, I paint it. So now okay. you've got a painted blue line, and it stands out way more, and some of the guys have wanted that. So once that's all done, everything is separated. I, I, use, I use razor blades to mark where the union is. So I'll, I'll take the six stripes or the seven stripes that make up the union on my size flag. I'll remove the all-black ones. And so I'll put the two, four, and six together. I'll mark them with uh, the measure of the distance I need for the union, and then I pound in uh, razor blades from a box cutter. So I pound them in, mm -hmm. and I got on the table, I'll have all the, everything's numbered and labeled what flag it's for. So I got Brandon's flag, stripe 13, stripe 11, stripe 9, all the ones that need to be black are on this side, and I'll mix it in with, with Joey's flag, and all those, all the ones that are supposed to be black, all the ones that are supposed to be burned, and all the ones that get uh, the razor blades in them. And then that's how I do my stain line for the union. I used to make the union out of one block of wood. And so then you got six stripes, the block of wood, and below that you got the other seven. Right? Is that right? Yeah. So, oh, shit. I gotta, I'm having a malfunction here. Uh, <laughs> windscreen malfunction. Yeah. I'm Italian, so my hands are flying when I'm talking. Yeah. Uh, but I have a problem with my miter station. It's not square. My miter saw, oh, I've squared it. It's Ryobi. If they want to send me a square one, that'd be great. Um, I've squared it up several times. And what I'm finding is when I cut the union out of one large piece of wood, it's not square to the stripe sitting next to it. So I stopped doing it that way. So now I just make 13 stripes, and I have to use the razor blades to differentiate the stain from the burn. And then I engrave it all as one on the CNC once it's all together. Um, this five-foot flag I'm doing, the union's two feet wide. I, yeah. I don't, I don't think I'm going to be able to do it I, on my CNC machine. I, I measured it out the other day. I think three feet would be sticking off the front of the machine. Now, I could build a, I think. So you could probably get something to support that in. So yeah, tip. build a stand maybe. Yeah. Um, or drive up to Jonathan Back's house. His you shop because he's got that ten foot by five foot um, CNC and he said bring that sucker up here we'll engrave it so unless I can figure out a way to do it myself I'll be driving up to Jonathan's but then after everything is stained up and everything's numbered um, I don't have a jig I know some of my buddies like Don Don Can the dysfunctional woodworker he uh, has a table set aside where it's got he's got a fence screwed on at the bottom and the side that keeps it square. And then he yeah. lays the flag on that, and he puts or braces across it, and then he joins them together. I have aluminum bar clamps, the square ones, okay. uh, four-footers, 
and I just put uh, clear packing tape on them so the glue doesn't stick and it doesn't mar the surface of the flag. And basically what I do is I put the flag in upside down. So I'll take the top three stripes and then I'll flip them and put them towards my belly on the bench. And that's how I do them. I load it up upside down. Last year I made some oak calls. So I put calls on the ends and in the middle. And I didn't know what a call was. Uh, my, my good friend, Hung, at uh, Wiley Woodworks, he told me about making calls. And uh, I did them by hand with a planer, a hand plane, which is really old. And uh, so the middle of the call is more is closer to the wood than the ends. So when you start clamping yeah. down on the ends, right, it, it brings everything together. That's the theory. I don't know if my calls are correct, but everything works. So I call it up, and then I glue and brad nail the back straps in. That's how the large flags are done. The oak one, I screwed 52 holes in the back of the straps. I, I saw right? that. So I could sink in a Craig fine thread screws into the flag because I didn't trust my nailer going into oak. I don't know if it would, but I know poplar is a hardwood, but it's a soft hardwood, right? Yeah, but it's softer. Right. So I don't want to chance the nails not making it through the backings. And I wish what I could do, maybe I will in the in the future, if I were to, after staining, then polyurethane before assembly, then I would glue up the flag like you, like you glue up um, any two pieces of wood that you're joining. Because yeah. then you can wipe off the glue if it's polyurethane. But if you do it, and I found, if you do it before you poly stuff, the glue, you start wiping off the glue, then you start wiping off stain. Yeah. yeah, and then you take stain off, then you're screwed. So for now, that's how I do it. 13 stripes, individually stained, then I put it together, then I do the back straps, and with the nails, brad nails, I use, I think, an inch brad nails, and the glue, and I let it sit for normally two hours, and then I'll put it aside for a couple of days before it goes on the CNC. And then after it's CNC'd, then I do the poly. I'll spray the poly on like five flags at one time. And if I only have one flag to do, I, I don't spray it, because it's a pain in the ass to set everything up in the garage. Oh, yeah. And I just brush the shit on, so... Uh, that's my flag rundown, how I make a flag. So mine's kind of similar to that. Uh, I still do the separate union. Okay. Um, so it, it just because I didn't want to have to worry about razor blades and getting straight lines and all that stuff, because I, I inevitably would screw that up. <laughs> um, but so out here we don't have green store. We only have orange and blue. Okay. So I have found that blue store tends to give me straighter boards and when i say straighter i it's not by much okay um so i've i started out by just using like pine common one by twos right so then i've, I've switched now to using the select one by twos or select one by fours and i'll i'll rip down my own stripes yeah uh, and then like you i i try to do all my cutting at once so if i have like i'll make one big lumber run and i'll just spend a whole day just knocking out long stripes, short stripes, leftovers go as backers, and then let all that settle out. I try to do it on my days off so I can have the garage door open So I, because I don't have that air filtration system so that right. I can use my little uh, janky Harbor Freight miter saw okay. 
that that that's gonna be I think probably the next thing I upgrade. Don't get a Ryobi. That's Delta that's Cruiser, I, I think you might want. That's that's the one I want. Yeah. So I actually had a buddy that got it and then his um unfortunately his house got burglarized like before he even had a chance to set it oh, up. Oh my god. And they, they ransacked his garage. But he's he's been able to recoup a bunch of his tools and stuff with his uh his home insurance policy. Good. But so I try to cut everything down and then I'll burn whatever needs to be burned. I, like you, I, I've started leaving that blue line. Yeah. Untouched. Good. And then I, st- I still stain it though. Um, yeah. I haven't tried painting it, but I might, I might try that out just to see how it looks. Um, I'll burn everything that needs to be burned and then I'll lay everything out. Stain everything. Let that sit and dry. Is this the next day? Blue- because you've well, yeah. After every okay. after everything settled, right. usually the next day, I'll stain everything. And then once, usually, thankfully, with that with the water based stain, it it's dried pretty quick. Right. And yeah. And I can I can start tracing on, you know, stars and stuff. So I can start carving those with my with my Ryobi um, little Dremel tool, which is way better than what I had started with. So the first flag I did, you know, we were, you know, not flush with cash so we were trying to be economic and stuff and i was like well i need a, a dremel tool a rotary style tool right. to do this so i went to every person's friend when you're looking for an economic option i went to harbor freight yeah and i got their little uh chicago electric one that came with like the flex shaft and everything and i think i carved like five stars and then the battery died uh, no. oh it was battery operated not not an electric one yeah. Okay. Yeah. So it was battery operated. So I go, okay, fine. It's a little like four volts. So I'm like, ah, oh, cool. It won't take that long to charge. <laughs> Twelve hours later, <laughs> like eighteen. Oh my god! It it took four days. What? Four days. Oh, to, to engrave it. Fifty stars. Oh my. Yeah, god. just to just to freaking carve fifty stars because this thing was so slow at And I'd finally get fed up. And I'm like, screw it, throw it on, uh, carve a star, die. And I oh just because I was impatient. Right. So eventually, like I, after that one, I was like, if if we get one more flag order, I'm, I'm gonna buy the something. Ryobi thing. Yeah. I'm buying something better, like whether it's the Dremel or the Ryobi. And I had a bunch of, I I still do have a bunch of Ryobi stuff. So I had the battery platform. So I saw the the Ryobi one. And I was like, I'm 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 getting it. And that thing is just a godsend. Oh, it's got to be <laughs> after, after what you had. It, oh yeah, it's I can do now. A, a full union, like an hour and a half, two hours with outlining it from a stencil and everything. And then I'll, I, I used to glue every individual stripe together. Yeah. Like we were just mentioning. Yeah. So, but what I started to run into was like that glue squeeze out. Right. And even with, even with putting just a little bit towards the unstained portion, I was still getting a lot of squeeze out on that side. And then I was, starting to worry about you know well i mean some of these boards have a lot of tension in them yeah and I, I was worried about flags exploding so i was like well let me try one where i just you know some clamping pressure down right. to get everything nice and tight and then just glue and nail on my backers and just like it's just as a test to see what happened and that worked really well so that's what I've been doing now is I'll get everything lined up. I'll set up like kind of like a, a makeshift fence, kind of like uh, kind of like Don does, where I'll clamp stuff down to my workbench. Okay. 
check it for square like 18,000 times. Right, even though it's a rustic wooden flag. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> well, when it inevitably goes out of square, I'm like, right. and you're rustic. Right. There we go, farmhouse. <laughs> nice. So, <laughs> and then I'll just clamp it down, start – I always do the one that like kind of splits the fl- the stripes and the union just to join those together real quick. Yeah. Do that one outside, the last one on the inside, and then – I'll either uh, use my router to put a keyhole in the backer itself, okay. or I've started. Um, I'll have like these, you know, like inch by inch cutoffs that I'm just going to burn. That I will brad nail glue on right. and put a, a some hanging hardware on there, and then that that's what's used to hang it. Or I'll put a keyhole in there or something. I, I'm glad you mentioned hanging hardware because I, I do put hanging hardware on my flags. I don't just let people put them on the floor and look at them. Um, so I've done a few, I did a solid oak pallet flag, um, really rustic for my cousin and they gave it to her boss and I did keyholes in that. And my thinking was on my back straps, I don't like to run them all the way to the end side, top to bottom. I like a recess in of about an eighth of an inch. So if you're doing that and you're putting a keyhole on, on two of them, if they're not the exact size and distance from the top of the flag it's not going to be square it won't be level i mean when you put it up yeah so i stopped doing the keyholes um i do use hangman products uh they make a fantastic french cleat that you can use for your flags so i'll either add a piece of wood between the two middle brackets and then i'll put the french cleat on there uh or i have some 65 pound metal wire and I've been using that a lot where you put a D-ring and a D-ring and then you just loop the wire through it. And the flags only weigh 15 pounds. And then I yeah. put rubber so feet on the on the ends. I put little small tiny rubber feet on the ends of the um, side or the end bracket. So it sits nicely on the wall. Yeah. So I actually used the, uh, the hangman cleat when I did a uh, concealment case because I was, I was so concerned with how heavy it was because, again, first time I had built it, I, I built the flag for the lid, and I was like, well, it needs to sit on, on something. I don't want to put the backers on there because that's going to go in. The guy wanted to mount his um, his rifle in there. Okay. So I didn't want I didn't want stuff protruding in and marring the rifle. So I go, well, okay. So I just put on a sheet of plywood. Yeah. Well, crap. How, how thick should I do the plywood? Three quarters of an inch. <laughs> Hell yeah, brother. All right. Holy crap. And then trim it out heavy. so it looks like it's just one solid piece of yeah, wood. That's exactly what it was. Yeah. And then I just I bordered it with the, right. the rest of the one by choosing. Oh my god, that thing was so heavy. I, <laughs> I had to buy I had to buy uh like the heavy duty struts. Yeah. I still want to make hold, one of those. just to hold it up. Okay. It's it's way easier than you think. But I don't know if I want to do the sliding door to the left with some, you know, drawer slides or yeah. the sliding door down with drawer slides or like you did the um up with the hydraulic lift. I don't know yeah. which one yet. Yeah, so so I did the the RFID lock inside okay. with so you'd scan the card right. and then lift it up and then the struts would hold it up. Um but I would probably if I had to do it all over again, I would tr- I would look into how difficult it would be to do the drawer slides cuz that was uh, the struts were just the easiest thing. Sure. And that was what I wanted to do is I wanted it to be Simple, so I could get it out because it was a Christmas present, yeah. and then uh, USPS 
completely destroyed. Oh it. no, you're like to the me. to the point where it was almost not salvageable. Holy shit! Oh man, so it was for uh, a friend, a friend of my wife's from North Dakota. So we were sending it to Wyoming, and holy crap, she sent pictures. She's like, "So this happened," and it's just, I mean, the border's like chipped out. Oh man, she, it was the lid was moved in a way that the lock couldn't disengage. So you couldn't open it. So yeah, so she couldn't open it. So I'm, and I'm just sitting there like, so I had it attached with a, just a piano hinge on the top. And I'm like, I'm sitting there like freaking out, sick, sick to my stomach. Like I'm going to have to eat the cost on this. Like this is like, I am like just seething with anger towards USPS. And then, so she had showed her husband early, like, hey, I got you this, but... It doesn't open. The post office kind of screwed Hope we don't up. need to get to your weapon. Yeah. Well, it kind of worked out because he, he likes to tinker. Oh, okay. So he took so off So he tinkered with it, and he actually he actually nice. fixed it. So Good. I was, but I was sitting there like, God dang it. So I we actually ended up making him like a, a set of coasters and sending them okay. out there. Like, I'm so irritated with USPS. Yeah. I haven't had that happen <laughs> yet, but I haven't had to make something that opens yet to ship. So, yeah. well, I've had three people tell me, hey, do you do, do, you do concealment flags? I'm like, uh, not yet, but yeah, well, let me know when you do. So I'm already building a back order and I don't even have time to do them yet. So, yeah, it's really all you, like the hardest part is just figuring out how you're going to put together the cabinet carcass, which is, I mean, the way I did Pockets, it. Pockets, pocket like, holes. What? Hell yeah. And glue. One by, one by sixes and then set it on a piece of plywood and just screw and glue. Yeah, I think that'll be it. All right, so. We're at an hour and 25 minutes, so if people haven't followed us. We should us, probably wrap this up. Yes. It, this, this is for the people sitting in commuter traffic. Right, or on that, the way to way work they don't have to. and home. You yeah, can, that way they don't have to like bother with finding a whole other podcast to listen to. We're your one-stop shop. Right. There's uh, You can use this twice. Drive to work, listen to the law enforcement part. Drive home from work, listen to the woodworking part. That's how yeah. it works. All right, so – I, we were going to do woodworking profiles, right, for IG. Uh, I do want to shout out one, just re- uh, and I'll do it real yeah. quick. So uh, David Miller from dmiller.designs. He has been so helpful when I was looking into getting a laser. Like he answered all of my stupid questions about like, cutting dimensions, like how he has his setup. So I, he is my shout out, and I will – like I have a whole list of people that have helped me out. Cool. Well, we will get just to stupid them. questions that I'll that I will get to each. Week. Yeah, because we want to mention this is an IG driven podcast. That's how we met. So yeah. I want to keep it in the IG family. So uh, my woodworking IG profile shout out goes to my buddy Hung at Wiley Woodworks. I already mentioned him earlier, but he's truly one of my good friends. Not only on IG, but personally, he's a good friend. He's an amazing woodworker. Um, amazing work with hand tools. He's been redoing a lot of hand planes and refurbishing them. So if you guys get a chance, check out Hung's page at Wiley Woodworks and also check out David Miller. Uh, These are people that are inspiring to us as we learn this craft. This is a craft we're going to continue to learn as we move along and start moving into more complicated builds and stuff. So those are two of the people that you can look forward to getting answers from. All right, so um, this is the Falling Officers Memorial segment. And weekly we will be mentioning the officers who 
lost their lives in the, the previous week. And luckily, as of today, I haven't heard anything new today, but I, I have a short list for today, which is a good thing. And Brandon, you have the list with you as well, right? Yeah, yeah, I have it here. Okay. Um, last week, I read them. Would you like to read them this week? Yeah, I'll take care of this All one. All right, cool. All right, so April 11th, 2021, Palm Beach County Sheriff Deputy Carlos Antonio Hernandez. He was a 19-year veteran, 47 years old. He passed away of COVID complications that he contracted in the line of duty. April 12th, 2021, United States Department of Homeland Security Border Patrol agent Christopher Shane Simpkins. He was a 24-year veteran as well as a member of Alabama's National Guard. He died of complications from COVID-19 that he contracted while on duty. In April 17th, 2021, Lexington, North Carolina, retired police officer David Pardy. He was 54 years old. He died after complications from being shot in the line of duty in 1992, investigating a suspicious person. He was shot by a juvenile, leaving him paralyzed below the chest, and he had been on the job for two and a half years. Man, two and a half years. That's young, 54. All these guys. Yeah. All these guys are young. 47. COVID. See, um, a lot of people don't take COVID seriously. And we are exposed to it. We don't, obviously, like you were telling me earlier in our pre-show, we don't know. Four confirmed. Four confirmed times <laughs> you've been exposed to COVID. Tell the people what you do when, when you know that you've been exposed. So... When this first happened, um, so my mom has some respiratory issues. Uh, my father-in-law, he's got some health concerns. So my wife and I both have people very close to us. I'm parents that if they get this, it could be the end of them. So we put some plans in place that if, or not if, but when I was exposed, that we would kind of be able to mitigate it a little bit without me having to completely quarantine from my family for two weeks. So typically the way it goes is I find out that I've had an exposure. I call her up on my way home. I say, Hey, uh, guess who got exposed again? She'll laugh and go, God damn it. Then she'll grab some fresh clothes for me, set them out in the uh, garage. I get home, close it down, say, Hey, just landed. Everybody out of the house. Everybody goes into the backyard. I strip down butt naked, change into the fresh clothes. Not You're not naked through, running through the house? No, no, no. Not since we've had kids. That's So nasty clothes go on, the, go on the washing machine. I start to load it. It goes by itself. Put on the fresh clothes. There are, are Every baby gate doorway is open straight up to our shower. I jump in the shower, deep clean myself, and then... Everyone can come back in after uh, after I'm done, or after I get upstairs, so that we can minimize the exposure. So, wow. it is a serious thing. Yeah, so it is what it is. Good way to get it. Good way, not good way. To, yeah, our job is a good way to get it. <laughs> yeah. But that's a good way not to spread it. Is what I meant to say. All right. So, congratulations on keeping your family safe in that manner. We did not get a chance to do. The hero of the week. It's been an hour and a half. You're my hero of the week. I'm nominating you. You've won the award. Um, last week or this past week, Brandon helped a Marine who was thinking of suicide. 
So if you if you want to touch on that really quick, Brandon, or save it to the next week, that's fine. But I didn't. Yeah, I'll I'll, t- I'll talk about it real okay, quick. Okay, good. Um, so if you haven't put it together yet, I'm also a military veteran. Uh, I did six years in the United States Air Force, and one thing uh, that is near and dear to my heart is combating veteran suicide. Twenty-two veterans a day, on average, kill themselves. That's unacceptable. Okay. So when it's a veteran in crisis, that's a call that I will go to. I don't care where it is in the city. Uh, I'll just, I'll go if, if they're, if they're not getting anywhere. So, uh, thankfully this Marine reached out to uh, crisis line who then called us. Uh, we were able to get in touch with her thankfully before anything happened. Uh, she's, uh, in 2019, she was a victim of a sexual assault, which was something else that I dealt with in the military, being uh, one of the one of the advocates uh, for sexual assault victims. So she was kind of a double whammy for me, um, and thankfully we were able to to get her up to not just the uh, county resource that's available. That's typically, if we put somebody on a mental health hold, we were able to get her up to um, the VA and get her some health there. They have a little bit better uh, health or mental health care at the VA than they do at the county level. So uh, we got her transported up there uh, by ambulance. Thankfully, the you know, most of the ambulance workers, if I kind of talk to them and be like, hey, this is either this is active duty or this is a veteran, like we need to get them there, the, they'll usually work with me on it. Um, and that this is actually the first time I've ever handed out my uh, my business card to somebody and incur like circled my email address and even put my department phone, uh, cell phone number on there and made myself uh, available to them. So very happy that we were able to, to get that result. And if you know somebody that is a veteran, you'd have no idea how much or how impactful just even a text message saying, Hey, thinking about you, how you doing? Even if it's been years, uh, that that text message could literally save a life. Well, thank you, man. It's a, a fantastic story, and I'm so glad that you were there for her because who knows what would have happened if you didn't take that call. Not everybody can deal with those kind of calls, let's face it. We've got guys that can't do that part of the job, and to have the background that you do is amazing. In closing, thanks again, Brandon. I greatly appreciate you, for one, serving our country. And I'm honored to have you as a co-host on this show. And thank you for saving someone's life this week. Um, It's a fantastic feeling. And you've made a difference, and that's why you do this job, right? Yeah. And that was immediately after the call as I sent out the the message to this uh, group chat that we have with the the woodworkers slash uh, law enforcement officers. It's just... It's one of those things of we need to celebrate the small victories that we do have. Definitely. And we all appreciate you and being in our group. So thanks. That will wrap up episode two. I hope you stayed with us. And before we go, I want to mention a few things. Nelson DeVal of uh, CWO Workshop on Instagram. He is going to be heading up our Instagram and Facebook page for the podcast. There will be a Handcuffs and Sawdust Instagram page and Facebook page that you will be able to 
leave questions and remarks about the show. In the meantime, if you want to leave a remark or a question, feel free to send an email. It's uh, it's handcuffs and sawdust podcast at uh, gmail. I, know. Handcuffs I don't know. And sawdust I zoned out for a minute, man. I'm going on like two yeah. hours of sleep. <laughs> I can We're, edit all this. Oh, um, this is yeah. this is okay. deteriorating rapidly. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> no, leave it in there. This is great. This is what people yeah, want. Right. <laughs> they want they want to see two suffering insomniacs ramble for <laughs> ten minutes. So you got the email now. Uh, thanks to Nelson, who's going to be doing our uh, those two pages. And then I wanted to thank Don Can, uh, the dysfunctional woodworker. Don is one of my closest friends on Instagram and in my life, actually. We, we talk quite a bit. Um, Don spent his own time. I gave him an idea of what I wanted for the logo. He did it. He's actually updating it now because Apple is very picky, and they need specifics before they can actually put your podcast on the air. So he's finishing up the, uh, it might even be a new tweaked logo, but I wanted to thank Don for doing that. And that's it, man. Uh, we're going to have some guests coming up that I'm excited about that I can't share with you right now. Big, but, big uh, guests. Big, big guests. Um, so keep uh, your questions coming, and we will pick out a question of the week that we'll get on the air next week. And uh, with that, I can say thank you, uh, Brandon. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in, all you law enforcement guys out there and gals. You are cared for. Stay safe. We're out.